Hello, I am the host of Shifting Culture, Joshua Johnson. I just want to come on before the episode and tell you all thank you for listening. Did you know that big things are coming for Shifting Culture and you can be a part of it? We have just launched a Patreon. When you become a monthly patron to the show, you will get our episode ad-free, get early access to episodes, be able to download episode guides, and get bonus shows. Go to patreon.com slash shifting culture to support all that we are doing. Your support means that we can continue to help the body of Christ look more like Jesus. Again, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture. Thank you so much. Now, on to the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Shifting Culture Podcast, in which we have conversations about the culture we create and the impact we can make. I'm your host, Joshua Johnson. Go to shiftingculturepodcast.com to interact or donate. And go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review. It will help us out. We have a really good one for you today. We're joined by Kevin King, the president of International Project which is an organization focused on initiating church planting movements through diaspora unreached people groups in ethnic communities and on university campuses. Enjoy this conversation. I know I did. It was wonderful to be able to chat with Kevin. So here he is. Kevin, thanks for coming on. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Josh. This is great. Yeah, I would love to start and get into your story of how you got involved with internationals in the States. Um, A lot of times when you're thinking about uh, missions, you're thinking about overseas, you're thinking about going somewhere, not your home country. Um, And even the church these days sometimes has a little bit of outreach to internationals, but not a lot. So what was your journey like to work with internationals in the United States? Right. Okay. So that great question. So um, back in, uh, I, I met my wife, she had a, a burden for missions. I was really passionate about evangelism. Um, and then I was in graduate school and started to hear about unreached people groups and just mm-hmm. the numbers of people uh, who don't, who've never even had an opportunity to hear the gospel. And uh, man, that just impacted me a lot. And God really impressed on me just a real burden to see the gospel taken to unreached people groups. So, um, and my wife was already like on board with, you know, reaching the nations. So we started to pray and say, God, where do you want us to go? And, you know, we used to go to missions conferences and you'd hear people say, oh, God really gave me a heart for uh, Bangladeshi people, or God gave me a heart yeah. for this people or that people group. And, I'm like, well, why I don't have that? Why don't I have a heart for any specific people group? But I did have a passion to see the gospel taken to unreached people groups. Yeah. So we're like, God, well, where do you want us to go? So we thought, well, we'll go somewhere in the 1040 window, you know. Um, and over this process of still not having, not really sure where to go, um, but feeling like we want to go to see churches started amongst unreached people groups. Um, through a number of different events, I started to learn about the number of unreached people groups that God is bringing to us. And so we yeah. visited New York City and I was shocked uh, about the size of these communities in the city 
where God is divinely orchestrating this migration and bringing the very same people that we're sending missionaries to, he's sending them to us. And so um, we moved to New York City about 23 years ago uh, to reach unreached people groups here. So for instance, the neighborhood that I live in, um, not not only are we close to campus where we have a campus ministry Mm -hmm. to international students, but our neighborhood has about 70,000 West African Muslims. Wow. Uh, so between where I live in Harlem up into the Bronx. So the communities in New York City, it's not like we have like 500 or 1,000 foreigners. We have like 20, 30, 50, 70,000 uh, people from that people group in this area. And we have another 60 to 70,000 Bangladeshi people in that area. And we have 40 to 50,000 Arab Muslims in this area. We have major uh, unreached people group communities all around. Um, And so we moved to New York City. Now, let me just say that it used to be that New York City was unique, but really now God is moving migration in such a way that we have major enclaves of unreached people groups, uh, communities in all different parts of the U.S. Um, And so it's really not just New York City. So we started out reaching New York City and we're still looking to bring more teams here, but we have a team uh, in Dallas. We have a team actually in Rome, Italy now reaching uh, Bangladeshis and West African Muslims. Oh, that's cool. Um, and we're looking to start a number of different teams in Europe as well, because this migration, if you if you watch the news, it's happening all over Europe, all yeah. over the West and so forth. So it was really this um, just God and this was 23 years ago, just God just impressing on our hearts the opportunity that we have here, which I really do think was kind is kind of, uh, or at least it was in the past, was overlooked. Most mission organizations and most churches, when you thought about missions, you thought cross the water, yep. get, on, get on an airplane and cross over the water. Um, and that's, that's real missions. Um, some call it a saltwater missiology where you have to cross salt water for it to be real <laughs> missions. But, um, you know, I think but when we started, people just had that paradigm and that was all they had. And so the idea of reaching the foreigner that God is bringing here wasn't really on the radar. Um, and, uh, and that's why we actually started international project. We started international project because, we just felt like with some of the other mission organizations we were working with, they just it just wasn't really part of their paradigm to reach the diaspora. Diaspora are people living outside their homelands. Yeah. So, so um, International Project started specifically to start churches through diaspora, unreached people group communities. And, and so uh, International Project existed for about 23 years, but... About eight years ago, we we turned it in eight or nine years. We became a sending agency. So we're mobilizing people to join us to reach the nations uh, in the diaspora here and in Europe and in various places. Yeah, um, I think that's kind of our story. Yeah, that's an incredible story to be able to get there early and early on in the journey of mission agencies awakening to the diaspora ministry of seeing migration happen. But we know that migration has happened throughout the centuries, that the Bible is full of migration, and God orchestrates a move of people so that he can bring all peoples to himself. Um, How have you actually seen that play out in, in the world of 
God, God actually orchestrating this migration? Well, you know, like you said, um, it's all through scripture. So it's amazing that, and I've read the Bible this way for many, many years where you just read it and you don't even think about it. But when you actually look at scripture, it's amazing to see that, that the scripture is really all about migration. Um, and, you know, you start out with, um, with Adam and Eve in the garden and they get kicked out of the garden because of sin. So migration begins. And then yeah. you see Cain and Abel and Cain, because of his sin, is forced to be a wanderer on the earth. Migration is happening. Um, and then you see in Genesis 10, as an example, you see at the end of Genesis 10, that it says that God is globally orchestrating migration and he's, he's causing the nations to scatter. And we see this also in Genesis 11 with the Tower of Babel. And then in Genesis 12, you see Abram, who's called to leave his family, his, his country, his people, and go to the land I will show you, migration again. So we see this, this all through scripture. And I could go, I could literally go on for an hour just talking <laughs> about this theme of migration all through scripture. Um, and what we see is not only is it talking about how God causes and is orchestrating migration to bring the nations to himself, um, but we see that he uses migration to carry the gospel out as well. Oh. Um, and, uh, and as we go through this presentation, and as I've done this in churches in various places, people are, people are shocked. They're like, wow, my, the whole story of migration, like, for instance, the promised land, we think of the promised land, we don't think, we don't think much about it, but the promised land, the theme in scripture of the promised land is all about migration. It's about God taking mm -hmm. you from a land uh, where you lived and taking you to a new land that is not your own and blessing you there. And that whole promised land theme that's woven all through scripture is a theme of migration. Wow. So, um, and then we see the same thing uh, moving into the New Testament as an example. Um, you know, usually when we think of Pentecost, we think of the Holy Spirit coming down and us being indwelled and so forth. And that's true. Yep. But yep. really... The miracle of Pentecost is really a miracle of God reaching the nations. So if you look at Acts chapter two, verse five, it says, now there was staying in Jerusalem, God fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Mm -hmm. and, and so all of the nations were gathering in Jerusalem at this time because of the feast of weeks, because of the temple um, and so forth. And then they were going to go back. They were just there temporarily. And so at this time, when they're all gathered there, God does this miracle. So the apostles start speaking and the miracle of Pentecost on, on top of the fact that the spirit comes down, but the miracle is that all of these internationals and foreigners could hear them in their own languages, yeah. you know? Yeah. And if you look at verses eight through 11, these foreigners are like, well, then how is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language, languages? And it starts to list them, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, <laughs> Egypt, and it goes on and on and on and on. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. 3,000 people get saved on that one day. 3,000 who? Foreigners from all the nations. Wow. And God, God, we just see this theme through scripture, and we could go on, on and on in the New Testament as well. But we see this theme in that God is reaching, drawing people through migration, reaching them with the gospel, and seeing the gospel go out. Um, so that's a biblical story. But let me just give you... Uh, you know, yeah. probably yeah. A, a recent story. 
Well, you know, we started actually here doing campus ministry and from reaching international students and training them, discipling them and training them to reach their friends and family. We've seen, you know, about seven churches started by students as they've gone back. And wow. I'm talking about simple house churches, yeah. you know, um, recently I was in Senegal. Um, so one of our team members here in New York City uh, met this Senegalese woman from Dakar. And um, long story short, she, she was engaged spiritually. Uh, she, she had heard about Jesus and was a believer, but she was never really discipled. So we started discipling her and coaching her and training her. And she went back to Dakar and started two house churches. And now she has three discovery Bible studies going with Muslim families. And um, I continue to coach her pretty much every week, but she, we met her here uh, in the diaspora. And now she's back in her country, starting churches and making disciples. Um, so that's kind of like a modern day example yeah, that's of, so good. of Acts 2, really of Pentecost, you know? Yeah. And that Pentecost story is so amazing to have all these different languages and the people coming in. And that story, too, is as somebody's coming over uh, in student ministry and then going back into their home country, that's really important. But also, you know, one of the I just saw an article this week about the re-evangelization of Europe, and it's through uh, immigrants, uh, refugees, people coming in and God is moving in Europe among uh, people that have migrated from Central Asia and the Middle East. And now we're seeing Europeans start to say, whoa, look what's happening. There's something about this. I really want to see and know this God. And so even through uh, migrants coming into Europe, there is a re-evangelization of Europe, which is pretty amazing. Well, that's an incredible, that's a great, great point. And it, it is really amazing because in, in America and maybe the West in general, but in America, there has been this fear that I don't want these foreigners coming and ruining our culture. And they think about this Judeo-Christian culture, right. but, but really the bigger threat to our culture is secularism, mm -hmm. you know I mean? this, that we're becoming a post-Christian nation. And many of the people who come in, foreigners from different nations, whether they're um, you know, let's just say Muslims, Muslims are very God conscious. They're, yep. they come yep. with a lot of similar moral values and I'm not saying they're believers and I'm not saying they, they know the gospel, but what I'm saying is a lot of times they're the ones who are actually in line with us in terms of holding on to, you know, our values uh, and our moral values that we see in scripture. So, and then also seeing the gospel go out. So that's an incredible thing that's happening in Europe with people actually coming to know Christ because of migration. Um, and, you know, back to the, the scriptures, it's interesting because after the, um, after the, the persecution that happened with Stephen in Acts chapter mm -hmm. uh, six and seven, um, I believe seven, uh, it, it says that many, you know, all of the Christians from Jerusalem were scattered, all except for the apostles were scattered, and they carried the word wherever they went. So not only does God use migration to bring the nations to receive the gospel, but he uses migration to force the gospel to go out with people as they're being scattered as well. So that's really cool about Europe, that story. Yeah, and you know, even you know, in Acts 
11, you're looking at Antioch, uh, who Saul and Barnabas were worshiping, but also other other men that were from different nations were in Antioch uh, worshiping together. So you're looking even at the, you know, the first Gentile church. It was a very multi-ethnic uh, place where they're saying, you know, hey, we're in this together. And so, you know, this global Christian world, it's a it's a global Christian world. We actually have a lot uh, to learn from people of other ethnicities um, and and so that we can say, oh, there is something real here about this this faith that crosses all boundaries, that it's not just for one people or one area, um, but it's actually to cover the earth. And this is what God is really wanting to see and desire, because we know that we do see that worship of every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping the th- around the throne of Jesus forever. Um, and so we could actually see a picture of it now. Um, we don't have to wait until heaven to see that. Amen. And, and the, this is the fun part about being in like a, uh, a, a, a global city like New York City or other major big cities, because all of the, you know, the nations are here and, uh, and we just have an opportunity to see people from every tongue, language, tribe and so forth hear about the name of Jesus. So that is very exciting. And it's just another interesting thing is if you do a study on all the places where Paul was, you know, on his missionary journeys, where he was starting churches, a lot of them were these major throughways where people from all the nations were traveling. They were these transient global or like big hub cities where people from all the nations were traveling through. And I believe this was part of his strategy, um, to see the gospel go out and spread through the nations um, like Ephesus. He was there for almost three years and Ephesus was kind of like the banking institution yeah. of the ancient world with the temple of Artemis, you know, Artemis being uh, kind of like the wall street of the ancient world. And so people were traveling all through and he spent almost three years in Ephesus because of its str- strategic location as this like radiating center for the dissemination of the gospel out to the nations. But uh, it is a picture of the nations here and a picture of what it will be like in heaven. You know, of course, with everybody worshiping, you know, but that's yeah. our desire to see people <laughs> worshiping Jesus from the nations. Yeah, I was, uh, you know, my wife and I, you know, we worked with Syrian refugees for a long time uh, in the Middle East and we come back and we wanted to get involved with immigrants and refugees here in Kansas City. Um, and we recently, uh, you know, adopted this new refugee family that came over from Thailand. They were, they were um, uh, Burmese, and it was such a different culture than we were used to. Right, we were used to this Arab Muslim culture. We knew exactly how to engage and what to do. We, you know, we studied what did it actually look like, and then we spent so many hours doing that. And even for us who spent many, many hours sitting in living rooms of uh, people of, of different, different language, different uh, ethnicities and different cultures, we were confused about how to engage and what to do because we didn't know that culture. What are some ways that you see as people start to engage internationals here in the States? What are some good first steps of how to take those steps and start to engage and get over the fear of saying, oh, I don't know what to do, so I'm not going to engage. Yeah, great, great question. 
Well, you know, there's, um, yeah, so this is a, there's two different ways I want to answer this. One is for the, for the normal everyday person, um, mm-hmm. answer from that perspective first. Um, for the normal everyday person, first of all, people who are coming from the nations, they are people just like you and I, they care about their family. They care about their kids. They want their kids to do well in school. Mm-hmm. You know, they want their kids to grow up to be, you know, contributing, loving family members. Um, and they're most pretty much, you know, I meet people from all different nations and, and we find that people are incredibly warm and the idea of coming to your house for dinner or welcoming you in it's, there's extreme, extreme joy and warmth that people have when they're invited in. And so, you know, what do they say? Like, like international students, like less than 2% of all international students ever enter into an American home. So yeah. my, my wife leads a, a campus ministry and just, uh, what's today? Today's uh, yeah, just a couple of days ago, we had a guy from Nigeria here. His father is a, a, a very big name Muslim leader in Nigeria. And he was here and this is the first American home he was ever in. And uh, we prayed together and I prayed for him and we shared some Bible stories and he was extremely warm and welcoming. And, and, uh, you know, I'm going to invite him back to teach him American football, like how that works. <laughs> Cause he was very curious how, what the rules are, but I would just say, you know, they're people and yep. they want to yep. be welcomed and they want to, they want to feel like you like them. And actually, if you meet them, you will like them Yeah, and, and to not be afraid because it's so enriching to, um, to just meet people and hear their life and their story and their culture. It's just a lot of fun. So Mm. another thing for just a regular person is don't be afraid to live out your own spirituality. Don't be afraid to live out your own spirituality. So actually uh, in the next couple of months, I'm coming out with a book called speak, letting the conversation about God flow into your everyday language. And you know, when you talk to a Muslim, in that conversation, they will bring God into the whole conversation and they do yep. it without fear and they do it without embarrassment. And that's just who they are. Yep. But for some reason, you talk to a Christian and we're afraid to talk about our spirituality. And this is one of the most important things for us to be able to see spiritual fruit is that we will feel comfortable in our own skin and just say, oh, you know, let's just say someone's name is Muhammad. Oh, Muhammad, I'm so sorry to hear that. I'm going to pray for your mother. I really believe that God, you know, loves us. And, you know, just let your spirituality flow through your everyday language. Um, That's actually what Muslims expect. I mean, if you're a Christian, if you say you're a spiritual person, how come you don't, how come God's not part of your language? So I say, welcome people in. Let spirituality flow out of who you are because you are a spiritual person, not, not as a strategy, but be who you are in Christ. You know what I mean? And engage people spiritually, pray for them. um, And people will be very open and very receptive. And most of the time this doesn't happen because of our own fear. Yeah. So I would say, just don't be afraid. I think that's, uh, that's such great advice to actually live out your own spirituality. Uh, You know, we often 
don't do it. But we find that that is one of the most effective things, right, is to let people know that you're a person of faith. If they're interested, if they want to know more about spiritual things, they're going to come to you because they know you're a safe person to talk to about it. They're... Absolutely. <laughs> and, and this is not just with foreigners. This is with anybody. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, you know, in Deuteronomy, let me just, this is kind of, in Deuteronomy, it says, uh, in Deuteronomy 6, 4, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And then if you just read on, it tells you in the next verses how to do that. It mm -hmm. says, talk about God when you get up in the morning. Yep. Talk about him as you're on your way. Talk about him when you come home. Talk about him at night. You get all these verses that basically say from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep, talk about God. And I find that if, if, if Christians learn to just turn up their spiritual volume and be real, you will see all kinds of people who are spiritually receptive who you would have never known about, but if yeah. we would live out loud, let me say, okay, let me say something that might sound slightly controversial, but hear me out on this. Okay. Okay. I think friendship evangelism is bad. It's really bad. I agree. <laughs> now, let me tell you why I say that. Because if any listeners are like, how can you say friendship evangelism is bad? That's, that almost sounds like heresy. Let me clarify. I don't think friendship is bad. No. And I don't no. think evangelism is bad. Right. And but this is the I, this is one of the ideas of friendship event or I'm going to give you two ideas that are often connected with friendship evangelism. One idea is if we just show people that we love them from our lifestyle and, and we just are are nice to them, like then they'll come to Christ. That's one idea that's connected with. Friendship right. The other idea, which is more prominent, is you people who endorse this idea think, say you can't just talk to somebody about the gospel you need to earn the right to engage somebody spiritually you need to earn the right to engage them spiritually so what that does is it basically keeps you quiet until you feel like you've earned the right through your friendship to have a voice hmm. well that's completely unbiblical they actually it's not only is it completely unbiblical but it's completely fake Yep. It's the biggest bait and switch there is. Basically, you're saying, I'm going to pretend I'm going to be your friend and I'm going to hide who I really am until you trust me. And then I'm going to show you who I really am. Yeah. Once, once I have you as a friend, <laughs> the biggest bait and switch yep. where all through scripture, like Deuteronomy six, God says, talk about me all the time. And all through the Psalms, the Psalms, I will praise you all day long. I will boast of your name. I, so all through scripture, we're commanded to talk about God all the time. But friendship evangelism actually causes us to stay quiet. Mm. Um, so I'm all about relationships. I'm all about engaging people. But engage them with who you are. Yeah. Live out loud. And if they want to be your friend, great. And if they don't, that's okay. But don't switch who you are. And a little piece of advice I say is, look, the way that you talk to people at church, talk to your neighbor the same way. So if at church you say, I'm going to pray about that, say that to your neighbor. Yeah. If if you're in church and you say, oh, I really feel, feel like God wants me to do this, say that to your neighbor. Don't have double language. No. So. Well, you might have to translate a little bit. There's some weird Christian speak that we use. Yeah, that's... we don't really use Christianese. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. I hear you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but but don't, don't have two, don't be like spiritual at church, but then non-spiritual right. outside of church. And I think if we integrate our spirituality within our everyday life, that we don't have a dichotomy of 
right? Church is where we have this sacred space, and then the rest of the pl- places are secular, and we don't really engage our spiritual life in the in the rest of our lives. Um, we're going to start to spiritualize things in a way that's unhelpful for people. But if we start to integrate our lives and our spiritual lives together, um, it makes it more concrete for people, and it's not a a fluffy spirituality. It's a concrete, real spiritual life that we could walk out and actually have a, a real example of, and that points people to Jesus. Absolutely. I mean, we have really, Christians have really caved to our culture of separating the sacred and the secular. So, yeah. okay, the sacred happens at church, and I'll play that role there, but then the secular happens outside of church, and then I'll play that role over here. And that was never, that's never God's design for the believer is to, to play these two separate, to wear these two separate masks, but to be a fully integrated person and to feel comfortable in your own spiritual skin. Yep. So that's a bit, that's a, just a piece of advice, whether you're engaging your, your, your Irish neighbor or your neighbor who just moved from Bangladesh, turn up your spiritual volume, live out loud and welcome people, and and you will find that people are much, much more receptive uh, than you think. So that's my my message for like common, <laughs> regular day, everyday people. Yeah, that's good. If, uh, if you wanted me to talk about what we do, we have teams who are specifically trying to go much deeper to understand the culture and the worldview of the people they're trying to reach so that they can be more effective at sharing the gospel and engaging them. Uh, but that's a whole nother path we could go down if you wanted to talk about that. But Well, yeah, I mean, let's talk about it. What does it actually look like to engage worldview um, and other people's worldview and and bring Jesus into that? What does that look like? Well, let, let, let me. OK, so one is um, we have our teams do what are called ethnographic surveys mm-hmm. and an ethnographic survey is when you go into a people group and you go and you go as a student of the people group and just you're trying to ask a thousand different questions to help you understand how they think and understand what are the important rituals in their culture and what are the important um, holidays in their culture and how do they view uh, mortality and what are the important questions that they have and and all of these things because this will help you build bridges and engage them uh, in spiritual ways and help you to see, uh, yeah, what are the bridges for the gospel? But that's one thing. If I was going to summarize the whole idea of worldview, I would say that one of the things um, that we train people in on our teams is something called, and again, this is another term that can be misunderstood, yeah. but I'll try to, is, is gospel contextualization. Okay. And what do I mean by that? As Westerners, we usually think of the gospel from a certain biblical perspective. And people from other cultures oftentimes see it from a different biblical perspective. Let me share what I mean. In the world, there's like three major categories of worldviews. Um, And these all flow out of Genesis chapter three. But one of them is a guilt-innocence worldview. So, and this is, you know, Westerners usually come from a guilt, innocence worldview. Yeah. Another worldview you have is a shame, honor worldview. And the third one is a fear, power 
worldview. So for instance, uh, you know, countries that where animism is very strong are usually more fear power. Did I say fear? I meant fear power. Worldview. Yeah, that, I think you said fear power. That's right. Fear power. Yeah. So yeah. animistic type cultures, maybe some parts of South America, Africa, some parts of Asia are fear power. Um, and then a lot of the Middle East and also a lot of parts of Asia are shame honor. Mm -hmm. In the West, we're more guilt innocence. Well, the gospel is good news to, to shame, you know, and actually all of scripture was written out of a shame honor culture. Right. And so when people from a shame honor culture read the scripture, it resonates in a way with them that we don't understand because we're only, we only look at things through the lens of guilt innocence, right. usually. Um, so when we talk about gospel contextualization, we're not talking about in any way changing the gospel. Yeah. We're just talking about presenting it, it with biblical categories from a shame honor perspective or a fear power perspective um, in ways that will resonate with the, our hearers. So yeah. let, me, let me give an example. We had one of our team members who was meeting with uh, a bunch of West African Muslims, and they come from an animistic culture where being under a curse is 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 deeply understood by them. And there's great fear of the evil eye and being under a curse and yep. so forth. And he was meeting with them for months and they had this good relationship and he was sharing the gospel with them from a guilt innocence perspective. And, you know. It was just kind of like, eh, okay, they weren't really interested, right? Yeah. Um, it just wasn't resonating. And then one day he was sitting around the table at lunch and he said, yeah, I was under a curse. Mm. And they were like, what? They were like, you were under a curse? And he was like, yeah, I was under a curse. And then I would, you know, Jesus set me free from this curse. And he was talking <laughs> about the curse of sin. Yeah. And all of a sudden they're like, wait a second, you were under a curse and you were set free. So, you know, I could continue with the story, but the whole point is now because he started to share the gospel with them in terms and categories that relate to their worldview. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden this is relevant before it wasn't relevant because they didn't think about sin and the world from a guilt innocence perspective. They thought about sin and the world from a fear power perspective. Right. And now he's sharing the gospel in this context. And all of a sudden, wait, this is good news. Tell yeah. me about it. And that's the same with shame, honor. So our teams who are trying to start churches amongst unreached people groups in the, you know, in the diaspora, you know, in these different locations, we, we specifically try to hone and learn and understand the way people think so we can be more effective at engaging them spiritually in ways that, that are relevant to mm. the way they think. Yeah. That's, that's what I mean by gospel contextualization. That gospel contextualization is so important. So, you know, when we train missionaries here at All Nations, that's right there, those, those three worldviews, predominant worldviews of guilt, innocence, honor, shame, and power, fear. When I, I, usually, I usually give that teaching um, about that to look at things from different perspectives and the gospel from different perspectives, that's probably the most r resonating teaching that we give because it opens people's eyes to say, oh, I didn't know that I have a specific lens that I view things through. I don't realize that. 
Um, I don't realize that I need to take off these glasses and put on a different pair of glasses so I could see it from a different perspective. Absolutely. Well, actually, you know, so two, two books, one that relates to this whole idea of these different worldviews is called 3D Gospel, which you're probably familiar with. Yeah. But um, if your listeners wanted to pick up, it's a short, easy book that just gives an overview that's really helpful for understanding this idea of different worldviews and how to engage people from these worldviews. Another interesting book that was I read years ago was a book called, and I, I might get the title slightly wrong, but it was Misreading Scripture Through Western Eyes. Yep. And it's, that's it's right. Yeah, it's the whole idea of that we come to scripture with certain glasses on, certain lenses, worldview lenses. And because of it, we miss a lot of the key ideas in scripture because we just can't see it through our culture. Yeah. Um, and people who read the scripture from a shame honor perspective actually see much more because that's it, the scriptures were written in a shame honor, you know, worldview. But, you know, he also I think they later came out with a book, something entitled Misreading Scripture Through Eastern Eyes. So yeah. <laughs> every every culture has lenses on and we miss things. But it's just good to know that people don't have the same worldview as we do. And if we understand the differences, it'll enable us to more effectively engage them spiritually. Yeah, I think, I, you know, as you know, people from different different cultures, uh, different worldviews, I, mean, I often say uh, the core tenet and the core thing that we need to, to bring is to get people to a place of Jesus is Lord. Um, and when Jesus is actually Lord of everything, um, our cultural expressions, um, even though that they're different, they're, they're actually expressing who Jesus is. Um, and it's not going to, even though we may think they're different, they're strange, um, they don't work out, but that's the core and the key concept is to get people to say, okay, Jesus is Lord over everything that I follow, you know, the scriptures and I want to walk in the ways of Jesus. Um, but, you know, I'm going to, to do that maybe a little different than you do, but the core concepts um, are exactly the same. Um, across the cultures, um, but the the exterior um, may look a little bit different. Mm, absolutely. You know, another thing that we do, and this gets into certain of our, you know, into the, I, the word methodology. So our teams have different methods for engaging people. Um, but some of our teams do what's called, um, one of the things they use is something called a discovery Bible study. Yeah. Um, and the reason this is really helpful is because you, you know, there's a gathering of people from a certain people group, let's just say, you know, we look for these people of peace and a person of peace is someone who will gather their community for, to have, you know, for, for engaging spiritual, you know, the scriptures. So someone gathers their community and the discovery Bible study is discovering what a passage of scripture says, and I'm not the teacher. And the reason that's valuable, because if I were to teach, I'm going to be teaching them through my worldview. Yep. But with a discovery Bible study, they're all looking at the scriptures for the first time through their own worldview. And I'm not tainting that. And they're they're able to see it from a whole different perspective. Um, so I think the discovery Bible study is another method that's valuable for engaging people from different cultures mm. uh, so that they can resonate with scripture rather than us uh 
fogging the their understanding through uh by sharing things from a different worldview perspective yeah that's good i love discovery bible study so what is it i mean you mentioned you know the the senegalese woman who went went and started some simple house churches um in in senegal so what does it look like when your teams find open and hungry people they say yes to Jesus, to what does like church look like um, when they start to engage that? Yeah, it's um, a good question. So, a lot of our teams, you know, we we try to find people who are spiritually open, and then when we find people who are spiritually open, the first thing we ask them is we say, "Hey, why don't you gather?" You know, or we'll say, "Hey, are you interested in learning about God from the scriptures or from the Bible?" And they might say yes. And when they do that, we'll say, great. Hey, why don't you gather your friends and family together and we can do a Bible study. I can come in and help you guys do a Bible study. And if they gather their friends and family, this is a person of peace. So we're looking for these persons of peace. And then we start this discovery Bible study. Um, and there's a certain process and format to the discovery Bible study, which I won't go into all of that. Um, but really, it's it's a group of unbelievers who we're trying to uh, we're 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 guiding them through different scripture passages that lead them to understand, you know, creation, the fall, redemption in Jesus, and the goal, um, you know, first of all, is that they come to Christ, yep. and then second of all, that this group becomes a church. Okay, so um, there's there's you know. These simple churches can look in a variety of different ways, but early on, they probably continue to look a lot like the discovery Bible study process. Yeah. And then, you know, you know, then we give passages. The big question that a lot of people struggle with is when do you call it a church? Which that's a whole big conversation. <laughs> when is it actually called yeah. a church? So I won't go there unless you want to go there, but <laughs> I would just say this, you know, at some point we feel like it meets the criteria of what a church is. And I would say some of those criteria are there's baptized believers, they're celebrating the Lord's Supper. So these are the sacraments. They're yep. devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer, you know, things like this. Um, eventually they'll have, you know, elders, but until they do, of course, I'm engaging and kind of overseeing and shepherding this gathering, uh, whether it's from the inside or outside, most likely from the outside. Yep. But, um, Early on, they'll continue to do the discovery Bible study process, and then they'll start to see things about how the church functioned that they'll start to incorporate into their gathering. You know what I mean? Yeah. So instead of me saying, okay, incorporate this, I think it's preferable. Look, God is using this discovery process to lead them to Christ, to understand salvation. And now let's let him use this discovery process to lead them to understand, hey, we need to be baptized and to do communion and... Yeah. I have a teaching. So it can continue on until they start to want to incorporate because they see it in scripture and want to obey it. They start to incorporate different things in their gathering. So why do I say that's important? Well, because some people are like, oh, but you're doing this discovery Bible study, but there's example in scripture of teaching and there's examples in scripture of singing. And yes, absolutely. Like in no way are we saying, oh, no teaching, only discovery. Yeah. That'll come in. And people who have the gift of teaching will teach and leadership will come and, and all of these things, you know, ultimately 
I think another way to look at the, these simple churches is through the lens of 1 Corinthians 14, 26. And this is one of the few passages where it's actually a prescription of how the church should function when they get together. And in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, it says, what then, Paul says, after addressing all of these issues of the church not doing things in a way that was glorifying Christ, he says in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, what then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, let everyone have a word of instruction, a hymn, a tongue, an interpretation, yeah. basically, and it says all for the strengthening of the body. So really, the early church gatherings were a place where people were coming prepared and one person was bringing a teaching and another person was bringing a hymn and another person was bringing something else and they were all bringing things. Um, so instead of having someone who's paid to bring something and everybody else remains passive, we are really trying to foster the priesthood of all believers where everybody is coming mm. in an active way to bring something that builds up the body. Yeah, that's that's so good. We did that, uh, you know, the church that I attend here, we're uh, a network of house churches and we we gather all together about once a month or so. But we do the house church in this fall. Um, we instead of giving people, say, a scripture to do a discovery Bible study in their home together, we just said that, all right, you're going to just invite the Holy Spirit to help and empower in the in the time and somebody's going to bring a teaching somebody's going to bring uh you know a song and uh, maybe a prayer maybe something happened and in every single house uh during this fall it's been so rich and incredible to be able to see the participation of the whole body of christ bringing things that would probably have never come up if we didn't give room and space for people to engage and to bring what the Lord has been speaking to them about. Amen. I, I feel I feel so strongly about what you're saying right now. I mean, so I'm also a part of a house church and a house church network in the city. Yeah. And, you know, to see, to activate the believers in their spiritual gifts and to contribute I mean, this is the picture that we see in scripture of everybody coming with spiritual gifts and being a part of a body. And it's so much richer and so yeah. much deeper um, than just hearing, you know, look, I mean, I'm not against teaching in any way, but, you know, in our, in our traditional legacy church building church type institutional church type uh, paradigm, we're so used to really just you know, basically it's three to five songs, a two minute prayer and a 45 minute monologue style lecture. <laughs> right. I mean, and we do that week after week. Yeah. Um, and just to hear God speak and to minister through all different kinds of people, it's incredibly rich and deep. And mm -hmm. I love, it. I love it. Yeah. I mean? And I, I actually so think, I think that the, the body of Christ is more built up as we get more people using their gifts in the body. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and I just want to say that uh, that everybody has a part to play, and it's not just for the the few paid uh, paid clergy, uh, but everybody has a part to play in this. And so, yeah, bring what you have, and just empower and encourage one another, and love one another. Uh, there's a lot of one another's in the New Testament that we're supposed to live out. Uh, <laughs> so well, there's like there's like over seventy. 
Yeah, there are a ton. So let's start to 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 live out those one anotherings. Um, yeah. So Kevin, I just have a couple of questions here uh, at the end. Number one is, uh, if you could go back to your twenty one year old self, what would advice would you give? Oh my goodness! Wow! Oh my goodness! <laughs> I know. About anything? About anything? Holy smokes! Oh, uh, twenty one. Um. <laughs> Well, I would say uh, learn to grow in the in the abiding with Christ. Mm. Learn to grow in in the discipline of deep in you know deep prayer. Uh, you know, um, so many so many Christian leaders are more like business leaders rather than men of God, and you know so we started international project and I keep feeling this pull of, okay, we have this organization and there's, there's finances and there's mobilization and there's all of this stuff. Um, and it pulls you to becoming like this, you know, it's like, Oh, you're a Christian leader in some sense, but that we kind of think you're a Christian leader just because you lead an organization. It doesn't right. mean you're a man of God. Yeah. So I would, I would, I would, really try to, to grow in the disciplines of prayer and worship and fasting, which is kind of like mm-hmm. a, a uh, almost like an unknown discipline, but growing in these deep spiritual disciplines and abiding in Christ. Um, I, I think that that's probably, I don't know if I, what, what was the question? What would I say to myself or, but I, that's what yeah, I would. What focus- yeah, that's great. I think, that's so yeah. important. You know, if you're if you're growing up and you're, you know, we often, I think, are very, you know, in our early 20s, we're very ambitious. We want to see a lot happen. We want to see things happen quickly um, and fast. And to be able to actually go deep in those practices, those spiritual disciplines um, and abide with Jesus, it's going to take us a long way. So I think that's Absolutely. great. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, anything that you've been reading or watching lately that you could recommend? Oh, oh boy. Um, about any topic? About any topic. <laughs> I mean, just last week we had somebody recommend The Office, you know, so <laughs> <laughs> so any topic, anything you've read. You know, it's funny, you know, I, I, I'm always like, you know, I'm kind of like a apostolic in nature and like always want to be starting new things so i, yeah. I funny because i I'm, i gravitate toward watching the shark tank a lot <laughs> <laughs> nice but nice. um in terms of reading um one of the things i've just been reading a lot about recently is just look this is going to sound boring and i'm not recommending this but <laughs> so but you know i could just share something i'm reading you know, i've just been studying a lot about ephesians 4 11 with these apest mm-hmm apostle prophet evangelist pastor and teacher yeah and just the importance of all of these roles slash functions slash ministries operating in the church and oftentimes our churches are really more pastor teacher churches and yep. we ignore the you know apostle prophet and evangelist and when i say that i mean like small a apostle like apostolic yep. thing and so forth so i've been reading a lot about that and that's been really exciting and just um you know, I do spend a lot of time thinking about the church just from a, uh, what the church is really called to be, how we're to live out what it means to be the church. Um, 
Yeah, how's that for an answer that people are like, oh, that sounds incredibly boring and theological. <laughs> I don't know if it's boring. I, I do a lot of work in the APEST world, so I think it's really exciting. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'll just say you could recommend my my uh, my leadership accelerator in APEST that's happening starting January 18th. How about that? You, you are, and, uh, <laughs> you're leading something on APEST? Yeah. For, what, are, what are you leading? I'm leading a 12-week leadership accelerator around uh, APEST through, Is that right? through 5Q. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that starts January 18th? <laughs> January 18th. Yeah. How do, people, how do, how do I get to it? <laughs> uh, Here, I'm, like, I'm helping you with this. <laughs> you're helping me with That's great. You go to 5QCollective.com um, and uh, there you go under training and then click on leadership accelerator. I, you know, I think for anybody, look, this is good for any believer, yep. but especially for someone who's trying to help the body understand how to function fully, you know, so I think that is great. And I'm, uh, that's awesome. I'm going to check that out, Josh. Yeah. I didn't realize you were doing that. That's I, great. Yeah, I am. So yeah, that's, uh, I'm really excited about that and, and working, you know, a little bit with uh, Alan Hirsch um, and uh, his movement leaders collective, um, part of his movement DNA. And uh, I get to actually engage in the training team around APEST. So I'm really, I really love that, that that, piece. That's really exciting. That's totally exciting. And, you know, I would just say, you know, we have this training here and yeah, we, we train people and stuff like APEST and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, in terms of our missionary training, the biggest thing that people need to grow in, in order to see spiritual fruit is turning up their spiritual volume in a natural way. So yeah. I'll just plug our new book that's going to come out. It's called Speak. And it's just letting uh, our love for God flow through our everyday language. So, you know, it'll be a, a few more months, but that's... Uh, and when that's it comes cool. out, where where can people find it? Uh, I'm not sure yet. We're definitely on Amazon, okay. but you, there may be, there's probably going to be a couple other places as well. So great. we're still trying to figure out the best route to go with all that kind of stuff. Sounds good. Well, Kevin, it was uh, it was a pleasure to talk to you uh, today. It was really wonderful. I really enjoyed it. So thank you so much. Thank you, brother. It was great being with you. All right. All right. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to see more episodes like this, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron of the show. You can help us produce more episodes so that we can see the body of Christ look more like Jesus. If you become a patron on patreon.com slash shifting culture, uh, you will get early access to episodes. You will get episode guides. You will get bonus shows, hopefully, and more. So go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron. Also leave a rating and review on Apple podcasts. Uh, It really helps us out and helps us find new listeners to the show and just go and share this podcast with your friends, your family, your network, people that you think would enjoy it as well. Thank you again for listening to the show. I hope you have a great week.